Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm a sexaholic. I'm a co-leader here with Madison. And uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about is surprised by joy. Um, so please turn off all electronics and uh, do not record any of this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, the, to carry the message, this session is going to be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not want to be recorded but need to share, we encourage you to um, go to, an, to attend another non-recorded meeting or to talk to any of us after, the, after this session is over. Um, please do not touch the recording equipment. If you want to share, come up to the front and sit next to us. Over here, we'll put the uh, microphone in front of you. If you can, as you can tell, it's pretty sensitive. If we even touch the table, you can hear it. So um, we'll leave the mi- microphone on the table. Please don't touch it. Uh, recording. So um, thank you. Let's begin with a moment of silence for those who are still suffering sexaholics and may not be able to attend this meeting, and also invite God to this meeting. Followed by the Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Um, Okay. Again, our topic is uh, surprised by joy, and I love that uh, surprised by joy uh, aspect of it. Uh, We will share up here, Madison will begin to share for about five or six minutes about how the topic applies to our lives, and then we invite you to come up because this meeting is for you. I mean, you know, this meeting doesn't happen without you guys. And so, um, and we'll have, each have, we'd encourage you to stick it to about three minutes, two to three minutes, and uh, Dick over here will be doing some of the timekeeping. Um, So, Madison, I'll turn it over to you. Hello, I'm Madison, and I'm a sexaholic. Uh, I'm going to read my share just so I keep it to a, a decent length. When I was somewhere between third and fifth grade, I remember we were having recess in the gym. I remember running back and forth across the gym as fast as I could, and I was just loving it. I don't recall there being much more to it than that. I was just running because I loved running. At some point, a little after I had slowed down or stopped running, a classmate asked me why I was always smiling. When they asked me that, I'm not sure I knew what to say. I recall not being aware that I was smiling. I do remember thinking that if I was smiling, I guess it was probably because I was happy. At that time, I felt like everything in my life was just the way it should be. I was grateful for everything that I had been given, the environment and my opportunities. I felt like I knew exactly how I should live, and I was living that way, and things were working out perfectly. Things started to turn, out, turn for the worse around the beginning of junior high. It was around that time that I figured out masturbation and started to figure out pornography. My parents in school hadn't explained anything about sex at that time, so when I started feeling drawn in that direction, I was on my own in in figuring things out. I had a sense that both masturbation and looking at scantily clad or naked women was wrong, but I also had a strong curiosity and eventually a strong compulsion to seek out pictures of women and masturbate to them. About a year into this experimentation, I was not yet to the point of being controlled by this newfound behavior, and I decided to stop because I felt it was wrong. My parents then decided to attempt educating me by having me listen to a Dr. Dobson tape on adolescence and sexuality. I think the tape as a whole was mostly okay, but it contained a part in which he said that masturbation was okay. After hearing Dr. Dobson say that masturbation was okay, I questioned why I had made a point of sacrificing this impulse. I almost immediately decided to try masturbation again, and then eventually looked at pornography as well. I continued down that route, and I was soon at a place where I no longer had the option to stop. It was at that point I considered myself to have officially become an addict. My addiction progressed from there, gradually taking over my life. I managed to keep up a good outward appearance, but inside I was slowly dying away. 
When I should have been learning life lessons in that important playground of life before adulthood, I was busy being physically, emotionally, and mentally separated from my peers, consumed by my addiction. I definitely fought the addiction. I tried to not let it consume my whole life. I wanted so much to be free from it, but I also really didn't want to let it go. This addiction gradually disconnected me from life. I was no longer present as I once had been. I was no longer living in each moment and taking joy in what I had been blessed with. Instead, every moment was in some way clouded over by my addiction. Large chunks of time were spent either fighting or indulging my lustful fantasies. Even when I was neither fighting nor indulging my lustful fantasies, my addiction still hung hung over me in the form of guilt, a feeling of dirtiness, and a general depression. I I feel like a good illustration of my life at that time is that everything I did was colored in shades of gray. There were no colors. Everything was drab. I did have things I still liked to do, but they never really filled me much. By the time I got to the program, I had given up on finding anything that could truly free me from my addiction, and I assumed that the kind of joy I felt in childhood must have been a fluke of that stage of life. After attending a couple meetings, though, I soon gained hope that I could actually get some freedom from my addiction, and about one to two years into the program, I was surprised to find that I occasionally was feeling the sense of joy I had when I was a kid. Ten years into the program now, I no longer see the world in shades of gray. Whereas I was almost completely disconnected from my life while in my addiction, I now feel present in the moment. Life is not pure joy, but it has become worth living, and I look forward to whatever lies around the corner. Thank you, Madison. Uh, Again, uh, my name is Bill. I'm a sexaholic. I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, And I came into the program in 2006. Um... And I came in in desperation, the way that a lot of folks came in, the way that Madison has talked about in the depth of desperation then here. Uh, I came in because my attitude in my first marriage was that uh, having an affair was okay. And that destroyed my marriage, that first marriage. I got married again. I knew that I shouldn't really have an affair, uh, but I still had the attitude that masturbation was okay. And that um, that attitude got us to the point where my wife was in a suicidal depression. She had finally had enough, had discovered me one, one last time. And that sense of desperation was, got me, was what got me into this program. I saw the 20 questions. I answered them. I answered too many of them, yes. I think I answered 18 of the 20, yes. And I came into a program, and I was just scared to death to come into the program, to come to the meeting. And yet when uh, there were two meetings going on on Sunday nights in uh, Lincoln when I came in, and I called up the hotline, and the hotlines, and I said, I noticed there are two meetings here, and I said, one of them is, has an Essanon meeting, and, and another one doesn't have an Essanon meeting? And she says, yeah, the, es- and the, the one out at the church, the Essanons go into one room, and the addicts go into another room. And I thought, I don't want to be an addict. And so I went to the other meeting, and they, to- they took me aside. Uh, two guys, you know, volunteered to, ta- to talk with me and to share their stories. And uh, one of the guys turned out to be my temporary sponsor, who's still my temporary sponsor 12 years later. Um, and he was sharing his story, and he was sharing about their, their you know, his stories, and, and was sharing about, and I heard his story, or heard my story in his with the exception that he got sober before the Internet, and I didn't think that was fair at all. God, I thought that was unfair. Anyway, but he said, one of the things that makes me an addict is that I have tried to stop and can't, or that I can't predict where I'm going to go, how long I'm going to be involved in my behavior once I start. I thought, oh, crap. The other thing that that he told me was that it's impossible, or eventually I learned, I heard from you guys, I started going to meetings uh, because of that experience, and eventually I heard you guys say, it's impossible to take a first step unless you know there's a second. And that's what happened in that first meeting. I had a chance to realize there's a second, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and you guys tell me that it's possible to get sober. I can remember coming into the meetings and thinking, there's, no gonna, there's never going to be any joy in my life again. Because the only conception that I have of fun is acting out. What the hell is going to be fun in this? And yet, I get in here and I you know, begin to get a sense of, of um, that this does not have to be the, the end of my life. 
It just has to be the end of my acting out. And you told me that um, you know that taking these other steps is going to help. And you began. I began to do some reading, and I began to get get caught up in some of the things that I thought were just hilarious. And one of them is in the White Book, you know, because we're going in the first part of this. You've got Roy K's story. I'm pretty sure it's Roy's story, and he's talking about all the ways that he was acting out and all of that kind of stuff. And then on page 17, I come across this line that says, you know, um, no, that's not it. I think it's on 13. No, it's on 15. And he says, another stage. Then one night, out of nowhere, a prostitute appeared, jumped into my car. And it's one of those moments that, that it come up again and again in the white book. That he says, suddenly, a prostitute appeared in my car. I've never had that happen to me. I don't know, you know. And then I, you know, and I'm going through the other things, and, and in talking about the fourth step, they say, you know, they're actually quoting from, I think, either the 12 and 12 or the AA Big Book, but anyway, they say it never really works for us to do, to take the inventory of someone else. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> that's an idea. Boy, I really like to do that. I like to take other people's inventory all the time. I don't want to take my own. So... And I get into the rule 62, you know, for in the 12 and 12, don't take, your to- don't take yourself so damn seriously. So, and I heard another, you know, and again, to, to relate this back to, you know, this feeling of desperation and the feeling that I was somehow morally deficient when I came into the meetings, right? And you guys told me, no, that's not what's going on. This is a disease. And now, finally, 12 years later, I pick up this morning's USA Today, and the World Health Organization has recognized that it is a disease. It's a medical, not a moral problem. Finally. Somebody else is, you know, is really being able to, and that gives me a little bit of joy. Um, and the fellowship, in the fellowship, for one of our meetings, we read apart from the big book, which I love, which it seems to me talks about this whole thing. We've been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things, but we've been, and we've been dealing with lust in its worst aspects. But we are not a glum lot. By the way, uh, Mark uh, E., who is from San Antonio, who organized the San Antonio Convention, is going to be our speaker at the Nebraska retreat the last week in August, and I would encourage you to come up here. He, he and his wife are going to be their speakers. Um, see me afterwards if you want to get things. But one of the things that he's talked about is that when he first came into meetings in San Antonio, most of the meetings were about things to not do. Negative sobriety. Okay, I can't look at porn. First looks on God, the second looks on me. Um, you know, I got to surrender all of these kinds of things, right? And about, and so he found a culture of negativity and he was, he wanted to find a culture of joy. And to foster that. And it seems to me this thing talks about it, you know, this section. We are not, we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is sexaholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find that we soon overcome by them. So we think that cheerfulness and laughter make for, useful, make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. One of the joys that I had in early sobriety was that um, I, uh, we started doing, uh, trying to do some things on a Friday night to do some fellowship, you know, just getting away from the meetings, you know, from getting, and just, just getting a chance to be with other guys, you know, and a lot of us, uh, I think in those meetings, uh, being around guys has been a problem. You know, being around girls is a problem. Being around anybody is a problem. Being around human, other human beings is a problem. <laughs> But at any rate, we were trying to do these fellowships, and one time, you know, the, these guys that I was with and some friends that I was developing or whatever, we, they wanted to do Frisbee golf. And the Frisbee golf in Lincoln, it has a stream that, go, that goes right along the Frisbee golf course, the side of the golf course. And so 
My, this friend of mine, Tom, he was throwing the throwing the frisbee, and it goes whoop, way off into the end of the stream. And he's out there, and he's trying to balance on a log, and I'm over there watching him to retrieve his frisbee, and all of a sudden his foot lets loose, and it goes down into the mud, and he's up to his knee in mud. And the only thing I could think of was when we see a man who was sinking into the mire that is sexaholism, we pull him out of the, out of the damn mud. So anyway, um, I found joy in lots of different places. Um, but I think that the, the biggest joy of my life came in the personal life and what has happened with that. Uh, my wife and I both came into program, as I said, in 2006. Through the grace of God, no control of mine, she continued her program. Yet it was very, very difficult for her, um, and we separated. We didn't divorce, but we separated. And for a long time, we were trying to put the, 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 the marriage back together. That was a long and difficult process. I thought various times, and I, eventually I got to the point of saying, I'm going to set a boundary. You know, the only boundary, the thing that will hurt me most is if you, if you file for a divorce. And so I'm in this till the end of my life. I wasn't before, but I'm going to make a commitment to you that I'm in this till the end of my life unless you file for a divorce. And about... And we began to work through some of the sexual problems, but there were also problems in terms of our finances. And one of my character defects is that I don't do well with my own personal finances. I'm learning. I'm still working on that. And that was a big issue for her for her own reasons. I mean, that, that, go, that I knew about that go back to her own childhood. And so about five years ago, she finally asked for a divorce. And that just tore me up. And even though I had heard and had played back the message that I, you know, wife or no wife, job or no job, I need to be in recovery for myself. I thought about leaving. I wanted, why am I doing this? And if I do not recommend, anyway, we went through the divorce. It took a, it took a while to work out the, the property things, but we did go, we were divorced. Um, but I tried to still, you know, I have a stepdaughter who I claimed who I was with, and I tried to stay involved in her life. Um, the if you haven't tried, <laughs> if you tried dating through Matt, and in this uh, online economy, economy at my age, it's a horror show. It was not a lot of fun to try and, you know, develop a new relationship. But I knew also that, it, that my program was important to me, and I knew that I needed to have somebody who would at least understand that, um, that I needed to keep going to meetings and that kind of thing. And I couldn't find somebody that. I, for a while, I dated someone who, was, who had told me that she had been married to two alcoholics. And then she said she did, really didn't um, feel a spark with me. I said, is that because I'm in recovery rather than... Still at an attic, you know, or whatever. But anyway, at any rate, it didn't work out. Um, so we kept doing that. Through my program, I had done, I had made amends to her before we were divorced. And that was a cathartic experience. Um, I made amends for, you know, spot amends as well when there were other things that were going on. When we were doing the property settlement, I made amends to her for losing the house that we had tried to put together because that was important for her as well, too. Um, about a year or two after we got divorced, she came to me and said, I need to make amends to you. And I thought, holy crap, boy, I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel anything again. And I went and talked to my sponsor, and he said, no, that's a gift that you have to give her. And so she made amends to me. And we, she continued to be, through her own grace of God and her own relationship with her higher power, she continued to be involved in her program. Long and the short story is that our lives kept intermeshing a little bit. Uh, we worked on a retreat together, uh, she from the SNN side, I from the SA side. And um, about three years ago, she wrote me a love letter. And I thought, 
I don't know what to do with this. And I went and talked to her about it. And I said, listen, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at sexually. But I know that, you know, that I'm going to continue to be in the program and that I want to um, have somebody who's involved in the program. And if, you know, and, um, and I know that a marriage should have a mission. And so we talked a little bit about what that mission might be. And then I went to my sponsor and he says, well, I don't know, but if your guys are going to date, you'd better date for a long time before you get married. Oh, we could date. Long and the short of it is that we got married again two years ago, two years ago in July 30th. Got remarried. And we're still both involved in the program. She's here with me um, at, or at her own convention. And I'm very grateful for that. It would not have happened without the program. My life is immensely better than it was before, not just because of her, but it's because of what the program can bring to me in every other part of my life. I'm just very, very grateful for that and surprised by the joy of that. And so that's what, uh, that again brings it back to our thing. That's my story, and we would encourage all of you, anyone who would be will, willing to share to come up, and uh, there's um, an on deck, and then the person who shares. So we'll open it up now for your shares, and um, we have the opportunity to share in this program. Uh, please focus on the topic of this meeting, which again is discovered by, or, discuss, or is surprised by joy. Um, like sharing in any essay meeting, please limit your sharing to the topic, avoiding explicit description or distracting comments, and focusing on the solution rather than the problem. Please do not share anything that is uh, that would legally we would have to report to the authorities. Please line up to uh, my left, our left, your right, so you don't have to wait for each person to come up. And please speak loud enough to, for you to be heard. And you'll have, again, about uh, two to three minutes to share. So. Thanks, Bill. My name's Mike. I'm a lust addict. <clears throat> Very grateful to be here, guys. I really appreciate you all being here for me. Never sufficiently grateful to be in recovery. Um, I'm from St. Louis. I belong to the St. Louis uh, intergroup. And, um, okay. Um, how's that? Okay. Uh, joy is not something that is, uh, in my vocabulary. Um, and I've probably been depressed for the last 30 years. I'm on medication, uh, been through a lot of difficult times. Lost a son to drug addiction. Got a son that's in drug recovery. And uh, been through uh, two divorces and on a third now, a third a marriage now. But as I think about surprised by joy, um, I think the most important thing for me is that my relationship with my higher power is the most important thing for my recovery. And uh, no matter what's happening, I can always run to my higher power. And he's, he or she is always there waiting for me to come. And, uh, I found that because of that, uh, my spiritual walk has improved tremendously. I've been in the program now for the third time, uh, t- for 10 years. And I think more than anything else, uh, that spiritual relationship with my higher power is what gives me joy, no matter what's happening, what's going on around me, uh, good times and bad. I always think in terms of stay focused on that. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, my name is Tommy. I'm a sexaholic. Thanks, Bill and Madison, for your lead. I really appreciate it. Um, I really like the topic of this meeting. This is uh, just overall kind of a trip for me. I'm from St. Louis originally. I haven't lived here in a while. I live in New York City. Um, and a couple of things came up as you guys were sharing. Uh, surprised by joy for me is the surprises, uh, the, the freedom that I feel. And then I, I just, it feels like I don't know the freedom that I've achieved until I have an experience where I used to be the opposite of free. 
and then I feel this new, basically the promises coming true in my life. Um, in the last six, I've been in the program, um, for about four and a half years. Uh, but in the last six months, especially there's been huge, huge changes. One, a uh, couple big ones that came up, um, over the last 24 hours or that I've, uh, re-experienced. Uh, I've done a lot, quite a bit of dating. I'm single, never married. Um, and I've gone in at different points, um, uh, in my recovery with dating. Uh, recently I've, I've been dating someone I really like and it was going really well. Um, someone I connected with probably better than anyone I've ever connected with. We did a disclosure. Um, I've done a few of those in the program, uh, the success or how they were done varies uh, at different times. This was the first time I ever did an essay disclosure that didn't have a drop of guilt and shame. Um, it was like, I can't even explain it. I, I couldn't believe it. I was just sharing. It was just like, this is who I am. It was the freest I've probably ever felt in my life, to be completely honest with you. Um, I've been tied by that. I've I've done disclosures where, I mean, it was just this sort of like, I am, I'm broken and like, I just beg you to just be with me. And there was none of that. I just couldn't believe it. And, um, and she wasn't okay with it. She ended it last night, um, which was painful, but I woke up today and I was, I was a little resentful, um, how it went down. Thank you. Um, and I woke up, I'm like, okay, on to the next. I'll pray for her. I want her to be happy. Uh, she's got her fears. I've got my fears, whatever. We're both imperfect people. It's totally fine. I couldn't believe it. And I just, I mean, that feeling could change tomorrow, of course, or in 30 minutes. Um, it's just, it's so beautiful. I just, I, I was thinking that on the way here, I was like, oh my God, I'm already free. Something like this would send me to the, you know, to the pits in recovery, out of recovery, whatever. And the last thing I'll just share, um, my disease while well, I'm from here, I lived here for about 21 years, 22 years. Um, and before I came here from the airport, I stopped at a gas station to, uh, uh, just grab a snack. And I had done quite a bit of acting out right by there. I had stopped at this gas station and I got there. It's like, Oh yeah, this is the gas station that, uh, I used to stop at before acting out. And there was no, like, that was it. It's like, okay, cool. Um, just grateful to be here. Super grateful to be sober. Thank you. Everyone, Ken Sexaholic from Hackensack, New Jersey. It is great to be here. Thank you for your shares. And I like to share early so I don't uh, piggyback too much, but I have to piggyback. Joy, the surprise by joy, you know, it, it, to me it's all freedom. And when I was acting out, there, there was no freedom. I covered my, you know, the whole gift of this program is understanding how lust impacts me, how I try to hide from myself. And the first uh, six months or so in the program, I was uh, working like heck to be sober, sober, sober. And then I came to these internationals, and I found this thing called recovery. And uh, sometime shortly thereafter, my daughters asked me, what did, what did I do for fun? Fun? Hobbies? Look around. I mean, how many of you have hobbies? I, I had no hobbies, and now I am full of hobbies. And, and I know... That whole gift now of waking up, walking into the garden, seeing that flower, and just feeling feeling this smile come up. And it's because I choose. I choose to do something well for myself. Whereas all those other times, I too had that incident, uh, that incident where a prostitute jumped into my car. And now I recognize I chose to let that happen. And I invited that prostitute into the car. Now I invite God into my life. I invite you into my life. I thank you all for being here. Let's have a great convention. Ken Sexaholic. I'm Leo. I'm a sexaholic. Recovered about 17 months. And I'm not going to get too personal here, but... uh, uh, the first session an hour ago, I kind of misinterpreted the title of it, and that's fine because it was a great session. But this one I was wondering about, surprised by joy. Well, first of all, I thought of C.S. Lewis's autobiography. I got through about eight pages of that and realized I had no idea what he was talking about, so I gave up. I am not a reader, but of the uh, five or six books I've read in my life, uh 
The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis is one of my favorites. Anybody read it before? It's a very small uh, story. It would take me uh, six or seven hours to read. It would take you about an hour. Uh, it is about a busload of people going from hell to the footstep of heaven. And encountering, he shows, oh, probably 30, 40 uh, encounters of people from hell, which he calls solid people, and people from heaven who are the shiny people because they're kind of like the saints of old. There's a big halo around them. You can see right through them. They're genuine. Well, there's lots of conversations in the book about uh, the solid people just couldn't understand. Uh, they would remember back on earth when they had their earthly lives, and they just couldn't understand the the redemption of the shiny people. The, they couldn't face up to their own sin, largely of pride. Well, there's several encounters of this. Um, I think maybe Lewis goes into about 20 to 22 discussions about this, Two of them really stepped out on me. I read this book about 30 years ago and have never read it again, but there's two people who are able to get over, in a sense, cross over from hell to heaven. And one of them is the person with lust. And I remember being amazed 30 years ago that, wow, and he described the person with lust that somehow got over it in front of the person from heaven, and the person with lust was on a winged horse and flew off into the clouds and in a glorious. And you know, I was still hung up on my lust. I've, um, as I was just really seeing that as ironic. I don't remember which the other the malady of the other person who actually overcame it, but uh, um, I've been through 50 years of fantasies and uh, finally been sober a year ago, February. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to go into my own, but one of my mantras, uh, my son has just graduated from high school. A year ago, at the end of this uh, the year, they had a music program of some sort, and there was a group of uh, probably a hundred kids who had done four years of musical stuff together and had really bonded together. Well, they, at the end of the program, they had a slideshow for each one of the graduates. And then uh, at the end, it said, knowing that the kids were going to break up and go all sorts of different directions after four years of intense being together, they, they had a slide that said, don't don't cry that it's over. The next slide said, smile that it happened. I thought that was just really cool. They had lots of memories. They could go on. They probably only see each other very infrequently. Well, I've adopted that. I've kind of rewarded that again for myself and... I say, let me think how I say, uh, cry that it happened. My next slide, smile that it's over. <laughs> and, you know, I know I'm, it's not really over, but so I change that over into smile that I'm recovering. And, I've I've had several moments where just out of the blue, I'll just think to myself, yes, yes, finally, finally, after 50 years, that's enough. I'm Brandon. I'm a recovering sex addict. Um, I I echo that last share. Um, sobriety is sobriety is awesome. Um, I'm, I'm just about two years. Um, I haven't been sober this long since I was about six years old. <laughs> um, it's, it's been a while. Um, seeing the promises come true in my life, um, seeing things that I never thought were possible start to happen, 
being able to make decisions. Uh, I think I want to start doing this, and I actually start doing it, and I keep doing it. I don't stop and then move on to something else. Um, not not walking around with this low lying black cloud all the time of guilt and shame. Um, or trying to figure out how am I going to stop this? How am I going to fix this? Um, having the freedom to just maneuver through the day, um, with, with the sobriety that, that God has given me is, is just an amazing gift. And I'm very thankful for it. Um, I'm a pretty weird guy. Uh, I don't, I don't like forms. I hate filling out forms. It makes me angry when I fill out forms at the doctor and I have to fill out, I have to write my name three or four times. I don't understand why you've already got it. Why do I have to write it again? Um, for, for whatever reason, you know, I, we, we had to fill out a form, I guess, to come to this. And, and I, I remember filling it out and I remember thinking, you know, it's okay. I got this. It's, I'm going to be all right. And and there must have been some question that was asked on the form. Honestly, I don't know what it is, though I can guess now. And and I remember saying, just honestly, I don't understand. Um, you know, I felt I felt joyful about that. I felt okay about that. That wasn't my normal response. I was surprised when I came to the convention and got my name tag, and it says Brandon R. I don't understand. <laughs> Thank you. Um, good afternoon. My name is Israel. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, hmm. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Being surprised by joy. Uh, that happened to me. Um, as previously mentioned, I, um, I, uh, entered the, uh, rooms of Sexaholics Anonymous so that I would, um, I would be sort of clean in a religious sort of way. And I saw that these people can do it. But I didn't think that there was any, any, uh, you know, joy in it. It was just, Something that I had to do because of my religion, you know? It's not a good thing to be doing. Um, didn't think there was any, any good life after, you know, without sex, without lusting. Um, that was my solution. Um, I like to, road analogies work for me a lot. I drive a lot, so, you know, going down this six-lane highway, it's got a lot of space. I, you know, like in a video game, at the end of the road, I crash every time. And uh, I'm comfortable on this highway. I know it very well. I know every turn. I know every, every. it's the same car every single day on the side next to me. Um, and then I come into the program and they tell me, hey, take another road. Uh, this road's kind of overgrown with grass. Uh, you gotta go down this road, and you don't know what it's gonna be like, you know? And I don't know what it's gonna be like, thinking it's just a, it's not a comfortable, joyous road, it's just overgrown, it's not even, it never was a road. Um, and then eventually, the grass starts to fade, and it's a dirt road that turns into a gravel road, well paved, lots of space, lots of friends. Um, that's one thing I, uh, I discovered in recovery was, uh, just you know, just the miracles, like someone mentioned before, uh, not having hobbies, you know, I, I learned to play an instrument. <laughs> I always wanted to play an instrument. I, I'm not professional. I wouldn't play in public, but I, I, I can play some chords and I can have fun with it. Um, you know, uh, started getting my finances in order. I don't know if that's a hobby or not, but it, it's, <laughs> it's a miracle. You know, it's, it's a pro, you know, fear of economic insecurity. If you take care of them, then maybe the fears will go away, you know? Um, yeah, uh, I, I drove from New York. I'm from Muncie, New York, um, with three other recovering sex addicts. And, uh, and you can tell the difference between the, the drivers, you know, three of us, three of us go at, is that time? 
Could I just finish up? Three of us going at a, you know, you know, speed limit 65. So we cruise a, a little bit over the speed limit. I'm not going to be un- honest there. Um, and just cruise the whole time, you know, and move out of, you know, switch lanes slowly, carefully, easy. And this one guy just, I don't, you know, I don't know if he has the steps in his life, but he's, you know, 90 miles an hour, get right behind the car in front of you, slow down, uh, uh, move over, right lane, left lane, boom, boom, boom. All right, relax. Um, easy does it, you know. Just, I was that driver. I used to calculate the entire road. Um, like, and, and it never stopped. It just kept going. Oh, there's this car. Now there's that car. Okay, then go, go there. Okay, right. And, um, today I can just cruise at the, at the speed limit, usually. And, um, Usually I don't, I don't have to worry about passing other cars when I'm doing that in the right lane. Relax. Uh, that's a miracle. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Thanks. 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 The, uh, the, the auditions for the talent show, the variety show, or at 3 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jim I'm a sexaholic. Um, I came to mind three, I'm surprised by joy that I'm su- just surprised. I'm six months in the program, 30 days, 32 days sober now. And I've, it comes up for me a lot of times in the middle of the day, just, wow, it, I did that. Like, for I'm down August is going to be five years, um, since I married. And I remember for the past five years, I wanted to say something for my wife, but I never said it. And I was just resenting that. And I said it like two months ago and we were in the same page. She told me she is the same as me. I just thought it was in my head. We're not in the same page. And that was like, then at that moment, like, wow, this, I'm a different person. I can't, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I felt so happy at that time. And last week at work, like I realized stuff that I'd never realized an act of addiction. It gave me such a good feeling. Like I, like, wow, I'm. So early in recovery and I see stuff that I missed when I'm in active addiction. I can't see. I feel like my loss. When I have lost, it's like one track mind. I can't look at the sides like something is blocking me. And yesterday night I was, I was lying in bed. I got so overcome with joy. Like I, I remember that I was on the national suicidal hotline calling in and was crying over there. And I felt, I didn't feel that feeling for the past 30 days. That I was sober. I didn't feel it, and it gave me such a good joy. I was so happy that I don't have that feeling anymore. So I'm, that's us happy, um, joyous. I'm surprised by joy because it's so like I, it came like a surprise for me. Like, and thank you. Hi, I'm Dustin, I'm sexaholic from uh, Colorado, and. Um, the, the surprise by joy, I'm going to try to make this story as fast as possible. Getting here, uh, we took the train, the metro from uh, the airport downtown, got here a couple days early, and um, very happy to be traveling. And as soon as I got here and we got on the train, there was somebody that was kind of sitting off to the side, and I asked him, is this the way or do, are, you, are you the person that validates the ticket and whatever? I kind of didn't really have my orientation on and and um <clears throat> the guy you know followed us onto the train and then sat down and was talking to uh, talking to me my wife was on her phone and telling this long story about his life and his mother and this that and the other and i thought about halfway through i was like oh i see what's going on here and and sure enough uh you know the pitch came like did i just have some money that maybe i could give him and da 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 da, da and i was just aware of that point that my mind goes into freeze and I kind of just have the smile and, and, you know, part of my story is that I was uh, sexually abused at a very young age and I began to have this awareness of that, oh, this is where I freeze and, um, not knowing what to do. He said, Hey, this is my stop. If you could just anything. And, you know, so I pull out my wallet and give him five bucks and, uh, keep on going and my wife kind of looks over at me she's she's lived in LA in her life I'm I'm just from a small town in Colorado and she's like no 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 don't do that don't don't do that anyway we're you know get get on going to the next stop and this next thing I know somebody else approaches me like hey I, 
I noticed you gave this guy some money, you know, let me tell you my story. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, this is, I really started to feel uncomfortable. And then I'm, you know, then the, then the, uh, disassociation begins. The fantasy starts out. The, the feeling of I'm, I'm, I'm unsafe, um, starts to hit me. And, and it, it took the joy out of being on this trip and into a new place. And, and, and it really felt familiar of I need to protect myself and I don't know how. I think that's a very core issue in my story. Um, long story short, later on that night, we, we were, were walking around town, um, going to pick a restaurant, and my wife is kind of at the end of her uh, own joy, hungry, ready to eat. And, uh, and, and so just, I noticed that I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna just, what are you, let's go here. Whatever you want. That's fine with me. That's fine with me. Kind of setting aside really what I wanted. Um, we get into the restaurant. We both look at each other and we agree like, no, this isn't the place we want to be. She says, let's get out of here. I said, man, that's great. Let's get out of here because this is not where I want to be either. She said, well, why didn't you say something? Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I've had this day of disassociating, and so I, of course I didn't advocate for my own needs, but we ended up going to the restaurant that I wanted to go to, and I actually used my voice, and I said, this is the story, I really wanted to go here anyway. And she said, okay, well thanks for telling me, and that kind of struck up a conversation, and then I told her the experience that I had on the train, um, just kind of sharing. This is how I felt. And I realized that I felt vulnerable. I felt scared. I felt embarrassed. I felt not good enough. I felt uh, there's like this idea of, well, I'm the man. I should have been the one to protect her. And she was the one that told this guy to bug off. And he, I mean, he did immediately. He's just like, no, we're not interested. Get out of here. And he was like, okay, that's fine. And I was like, hmm, well, I don't know. Can I, can I think... <laughs> You know, can I think about giving you some money? Like, answer me, you know, later, later, later. I'll tell you later. I mean, she was just like, no, you just have to make your bubble big and give the, you know, give the message. This isn't happening. And um, so then, of course, well, am I not a man? Am I not man enough? All this kind of stuff comes up. (laughs) We end up having this really nice dinner. I just kind of chose to listen to her and her, you know, we got into this conversation about... um, Anyway, short story, even longer... We leave the restaurant and it hit me that that's about the time in my past where that was it. I wanted to act out, binge, smoke, get drunk, something to take me away from feeling vulnerable, not safe. And it hit me, um, and actually that what was next was joy that I was able to catch myself and that I was actually able to feel the uh, back of my head kind of a buzzing in the back of my head. Um, that buzz would have been um, numbed out before, and I chose not to. I just chose to get present, shared that too, just kept sharing, and, and ultimately um, the joy response for me is actually feeling sober and feeling Period, and then being honest about it. So, that amen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Scott from Peoria, Illinois. Hey, Scott. Um, got the topic is surprised by joy. You know, I I came to SA or before I came to SA, I thought I was the lowest piece of dirt possible. I thought I was the only one doing some of these sick things and uh, uh, filled with shame. And so joy was not in my vocabulary. It was not something I even desired when I came to SA. It was, I just want to stop doing this crazy thing. Um, and so surprised by joy, yeah, okay, I wanted to be happy, joyous, and free. It sounds good. Um, but a couple times I've been surprised by joy recently. One was last uh, October. I spent a week intensive outpatient. At the end of the week, it was for recovering addicts. And at the end of the week, I had to write um, descriptions of everybody. And so mine came back around to me from the eight people that were there. And joy, joy, it was like, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me. Really? That's me? You think I'm filled with joy, huh? 
And so that was one time I was surprised by joy. And I know it's for a fact, it's because of the recovery uh, possible through the, the program of the 12 steps. Um, and the other example is, um, so last, I went to the Newark, New Jersey uh, convention last summer. And at that point, I was three days sober. Um, my wife had just said, Tuesday, when you come back from the convention, I want you out of the house. Um, we need to be separated. Um, and really, if you had asked me before then, what's the happiest day of my life? When was my most joy? It was when my uh, wedding day. And so being asked to leave the house was the worst day of my life. Um, fast forward a year recovery. Um, this year has been the best year of my life. Um, because my recovery has been the strongest and, um, celebrated a year's sobriety just a couple of days ago. And I'm really, really happy that I'm, um, sober through the separation, through the loss of, uh, my, my son, um, lost his, uh, well, he failed his drug test, I guess I should say. Um, and a couple other things that are just, I thought would be the end of the world and they were not. And it's only because of the joy and that surprises me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the recovery. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Thanks. Okay. Um, anything you have heard here in this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Let's all stand and make a circle and uh, we'll uh, close with the third step prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.